We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Adam McGee. And I'm Andrew Snyder. And you're listening to Capture the Satellite on Make Time for This, probably a part of the Eurostep Podcast Network and the Blue Wire Podcast family. It's finally that time of year, Andrew. We are here to look ahead to the 95th Academy Awards. Uh, this is probably the longest running tradition Andrew and I have across our movie podcast, which is at very various iterations. In that the week before the Oscars, we run through all the categories, talk a little bit about the movies, we make our predictions. That's what this episode is. In previous years, I've always kind of come into this quite bullish. I have a generally very good track record of predicting the Oscars. Last year, I fell flat in my face. So I'm just going to get that out there ahead of everything. Don't necessarily listen to any of this. Listen to it with your ears, but not with your wallet, is what I'm saying. On that note, Andrew, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, I won't give it away yet, but I predicted something or I made reference to something that I thought could be a possibility when we went over the nominations. And I'm just going to double down on that throughout this episode because, you know, I'm I'm like, uh, shout out uh, James Cameron, I'm like the captain on the Titanic and I'm going to go down with my ship. Um I'm someone who has always been a fan of Oscar night and have enjoyed the pageantry and the controversy of it all. And I, while that's diminished in years, I think it's it's something that I'm going to allow myself to enjoy without getting too worked up about the results like I might have been as a younger man when I was uh, filled with more fire and passion, Adam. I, I love the oscars i love oscar night i love sitting out to watch it i i won't say increasingly because it hasn't necessarily always been the case in recent years this year this is not an oscars i feel particularly connected to um next week we will share our own favorite films of 2022 our top 10 lists and there won't be a complete disconnect but there'll be quite a bit of disconnect at least on my list with 
the Oscar nominees and my favorite films. Um, that's kind of sad, and I think maybe as we'll get into, there's some films here that I think a lot of people connected to, and that maybe you and I kind of felt, uh, should we not be connecting to that? And they just didn't work for us. Films that were critically acclaimed and built kind of wider audiences in spite of being pretty niche. A couple of notable films that fit that bill. Um, but I'm excited to go through this exercise, even though I don't feel like this is the strongest, most exhilarating Oscar year. And I, I know there are plenty of people who disagree with that. And it's been talked up to some extent. Um, but I think it's a pretty, a pretty weird mix in some departments. Um, acting awards may end up being a little bit more exciting than they've been for a long time. They generally turn into foregone conclusions. I think maybe one of them is a foregone conclusion. And other than that, I think maybe two to three possibilities, two in one category, three possibilities and two others that I think credibly could come away with the Oscar on the night and it wouldn't be a complete stunner. So that is interesting. Will we just waste no more time on talking about it in the macro and actually let's get into some of these categories? Is that the best way to do this, Andrew? I think, uh, Adam, you know, we've arrived together here and we should just go ahead and step on the dance floor and start dancing. Yeah, okay. So... I'm going to try and mix and match these as I always do so that we don't have a run of categories. I don't want to start at the bottom as such and work the way up because I don't want people having to wait until the very end for all of the major awards. Um, So let's just kind of mix it up and we'll throw things in here or there. Uh, what is traditional at the Oscars is to have the Supporting Actor and Actress Awards pretty early in the broadcast. So let's do just that. Let's start this off with Best Supporting Actor. The nominees for Best Supporting Actor, Brendan Gleeson for The Banshees of Inish Aaron, Brian Tyree Henry for Causeway, Judd Hirsch for The Fablemans, Barry Keown for The Banshees of Inish Aaron, and Kiwi Kwan for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Let's start off. Broad thoughts on the category, Andrew. I think this is a really great group and an incredibly likable and deserving group of nominees. I'm not saying there aren't some other people that I might have had in here, um, but I think overall, this is a case of where you look at it and you go, yeah, I think they did a pretty good job and they got they got this category right. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's got two performances from one of my favorite movies of the year. So obviously I'm going to be in on that. If you listen to our podcast on Banshee's been a year and you know how much I love Barry Keown and Brendan Gleeson's performances. Uh, Judd Hirsch in the Fablemans, probably my least favorite performance here. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know. There just wasn't a lot to, I mean, it was a lot, but it wasn't a lot. If that makes sense. It yeah, kind of just, I personally, shit. I would have swapped it out for Paul Dano in this exact category. That's, that was the performance that I was most wowed by in the Fablemans was I thought Paul Dana was just so, so good at anchoring it in a much steadier way than Judd Hirsch getting his like six minutes or I believe it might be seven minutes of screen time and just kind of eating up the whole movie in that spell. 
Yeah, I completely agree there. Brian Tyree Henry from a movie I just saw this last week, Causeway. He just brought such a combination of sadness, warmth, humor, and uh, with a little bit of gruffness uh, to a role that it, it's it, it's called supporting here. But I almost felt like him and Jennifer Lawrence were co-leads in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's her movie for the most part, but he's delivering a, a lead performance to a degree. And I think he's definitely uh, deserving of a nomination. Uh, Quan here. Very cool story of that he was essentially just done with acting um for for several years. And I think I heard on not, a podcast not through his own choice, just to just to be right. clear on that. Just the phone was not ringing. Was he working in stunt coordination? I think is something that I had heard. I can't remember if that was correct or not. I um, don't know. I possible, definitely possible, but he was just not getting calls and. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once isn't my favorite movie of the year by any means, but his story and I think the how much this awards buzz and him getting recognition and getting to be in these forums with other terrific actors seems to mean so much to him. Um, and so for that, I think it's a, a very compelling category with a, like you said, a nice mix of deserving actors and um yeah but his story from a narrative perspective is 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 fascinating and, and heartwarming as well you're right he, he did do some work as a stunt coordinator i don't i don't actually know how i missed this until now he was assistant director on 2046 uh the sequel of sorts to in the mood for love directed by one car Wai. so there is very obvious references and allusions to In the Mood for Love in a sequence in Everything Everywhere All at Once. And uh, yeah, Ki Kwan's ties to it are even closer than that. But I just think such a likable guy. Anytime I've heard him speak at any point, really, since that movie came out, it's hard not to root for him. His story is great. Uh, that's a movie I'm not crazy about. I think we'll... <laughs> We've done a good job of minimizing how much we talk about it, and I think one other movie that we're going to have to talk about here at some point, um, because we just don't like to talk about things we don't like. I don't think people generally, you don't want to, you know, rain on someone else's parade. I know a lot of people like those movies, and then I think there's also a level of discourse. It's just like, yeah, you know what? just not weighed into that let's just advocate for things we're fans of but i will say the thing that i did respond to most in everything everywhere all at once was without question key key Kwan's performance um like for all of the heart that's talked about like you know almost throwaway fashion in every kind of moment in that film i think he is the heart of it he is the person that really kind of anchors it emotionally and Michelle Yeoh is obviously anchoring it in a different way and bringing her charisma and screen presence to, I guess, elevate the movie to be in conversation with the kind of references it wants to be in conversation with. But I think the heart is very much Kiyu Kwan. Do you want to hear the odds? Or do you want to make your prediction first and then we give the odds? Which way do you want this to go? Do you want to be influenced by by the big machine, Andrew? Uh, I've got 
odds of my own version up, so I'll let those influence me to a degree. Um, but I think Quan is the will win. And I think it's not even gonna be close. I know. I know we don't have like we're never gonna get like a stack ranked list like an MVP voting of a sports league for this, but I'm gonna say he will win. Um, and my should win. Um, was going to be Brendan Gleeson. I know a lot of people would have Barry Keown as uh, the runner-up here, but I think uh, Gleeson's performance, as absurd as the premise is, making it feel real and making his decision-making feel like something that the audience understands as you hear him explain himself, really comes down to Gleeson's powers as an actor. So for me, that was my favorite supporting performance in this category. I am also going to say Kiwi Khan will win. This is the biggest certainty of the entire Oscars. Like, this is, there's no world where he's not going to win. He's won every single award, essentially. He's gone around the circuits, won everything. Golden Globe, SAG, BAFTAs. I, there's just no way he's not going to win. Uh, and I am whatever, some people, all people, whatever it was you used, because I would say that Barry Keown is who should win in this category. Honestly, it's very close. Like, Brian Tyree Henry, in terms of the acting he gives, is really strong. It was a nice surprise to see him get nominated. Um, but yeah, I think Kiwi Kwan is going to come out on top there. All right, let's stick with I'm uh, very much looking forward to his speech, I was just going to say. Yeah, I mean, the one thing with that and the one challenge with that is you've had to give your speech over and over again. And particularly given his story, I, I think he spoke to it. He's obviously had a lot of time to kind of reframe it for himself and come to terms with the fact that now he has to do it over and over again. But there's often a type of nominee that wins and they empty the chamber early with one of their speeches because it's like, this is my moment. This is what I've spent all these years hoping to get back to. And it's turned out he's just week to week to week had another version of that. So that could be kind of uh, tough. There's not a lot left to do with it by the time he gets Oscar I, night. I'm hoping he's got an Oscar version that he was just like, all right, you know, we need we need to leave a little bit. And he's like uh, workshopping in other rooms, like a, like a nightclub club comedian before a special. But you're probably right. <laughs> but I don't mind hearing it again. Uh, let's move on to Best Supporting Actress. The nominees in this category, Angela Bassett, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Hong Chow, The Whale. Kerry Condon, The Banshees of Inish Aaron. Jamie Lee Curtis, Everything Everywhere All at Once. And Stephanie Sue, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Thoughts on this category? Um, I don't really know what Jamie Lee Curtis is doing here, to be honest with you. Like that she, was one of the. You might end up saying that when she's on stage on Sunday night. A very, very strong possibility. Um, Angela Bassett. I feel similar, not quite as severe as with Judd Hirsch, but like, there's. I don't, I don't want to spoil uh Black Panther, so I won't uh dig in any more than that. Um, I. I mean, this is there's just one real standout performance in this category that I think is above every other performance, and I I'm not sure that that person is going to win. Uh, 
Hong Chow for the whale is is what I'm struggling with. I think uh, I don't want her to say her performance is bad, but that movie is just terrible, and I am come having a difficult time coming to grips with it being rewarded for anything. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm at with this category. I think it's it's compelling from a I think one of three different people could end up winning. Um, but some of the performances, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if there would have been, uh, better candidates from movies that aren't recognized here. I mean, someone in, someone in women talking couldn't get a supporting actress nominee. Well, I think part of the problem is there is they all cancel each other out in the vote. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, because that was something flagged up from a long way out that, you know, this category could have two to three performances from women talking. And I think what likely happened, Rooney Mara is the lead in that to me, and I'm sure she was positioned as lead. Um, I would guess that Claire Foy and Jesse Buckley certainly took the bulk of the votes, but I would say Judith Ivey and Sheila McCarthy got some votes too. And all of a sudden, that's what happens. Because I mean, the film did get nominated in other categories, and as we'll talk about later, I think it's got a good chance of winning um, in at least one. So, yeah, clarifying Jesse Buckley, and I think Jesse Buckley was the one who a lot of people had penciled in predictions-wise, and Stephanie Sue was the... And I guess Jamie Lee Curtis was something of a late riser in this, but Stephanie Sue as well wasn't necessarily nominated in all of the other awards. I'd have a problem with her nomination. I think she has a lot to do in that movie. And if the Academy overall likes that movie as much as they do, I think it would be weird if Stephanie Sue wasn't nominated. And I, I think she does a like infinitely more for the movie than Jamie Lee Curtis. Like Jamie Lee Curtis yeah, is that... whatever the fun. It, it is very Judd Hirsch in a way where it's just kind of, it's showy and it's there briefly, but I think if Jamie Lee Curtis wins, it's going to be a, oh, let's take this opportunity to honor this person that we may not otherwise get a chance to, which honestly, as as much as I liked Black Panther Wakanda forever more than most people, um, I think they did a pretty decent job with that movie, given everything that was there. Uh, her performance is good. It should not be nominated and it should not be the front runner for the Oscar. It's kind of ludicrous, and I think people will be laughing at it for years and years and years, looking back on it after the fact. Might seem like a good idea now, but it honestly just trivializes the the award. But I, there's a very good chance that they're in a place where they're like, you know, Angela Bassett or Jamie Bassett are like Jamie Lee Curtis. They're the people we want to recognize in a lifetime achievement kind of way, which they just have a terrible habit for doing this, which I don't know if anyone realized if they just stopped doing this and they award the best performances as they come along, you would eventually have less need to do this lifetime achievement award. Cause you get these people when they give the performance that's deserving of it, but we're just stuck in this cycle. I don't know. I don't know. Andrew, what are your predictions? Uh, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go for it on this category. Uh, will win Carrie Condon, should win Carrie Condon. 
I'm in complete agreement with you. I, I think there. I have I have a little bit of logic here to it because I, in the odds, certainly the odds I'm looking at, um, she is currently sandwiched between Angela Bassett and Jamie Lee Curtis, and that is a very very close race. No one is odds on. It's so marginal. It's essentially a pick em, but between three actresses. Kerry Condon, although she is far from a newcomer and has been a working actor for quite some time, and particularly on TV and on stage, um, she's had plenty of success. She is something of the newcomer. And I wonder if there is a kind of a split between the type of voter who's minded towards let's honor someone for work they did 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Could Kerry Condon be the person who pushes true? Because I just feel like there might be a stronger block of support there for the newcomer. Now, ways this could be disrupted. If Stephanie Sue gets the big push momentum, you got to think part of the challenge there, though, is that Jamie Lee Curtis might get a lot of those everything everywhere votes. So I do think there is a chance that Kerry Connor comes true. And as much as it pains me to say it, this might kind of be one that people start to look at and be like, I really like that movie. And I'm not going to give it in this category or this category or this category. So this could be the one they pick to reward Banshees of Inish Aaron. So I'm with you on that. I don't think it's I don't think it's that wild. Um it's gonna be really interesting. It's rare to get this close and have an acting award that is that wide open. So that'll be a fun one to keep a closer eye on. Uh let's let's go to some of the crafts, Andrew. Best visual effects. All Quiet in the Western Front, Avatar, The Way of Water, The Batman, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and Top Gun Maverick. This is an open and closed book for me. I don't know if you're in agreement on this, but it really doesn't seem like there could be too much competition or too much debate about what film was the landmark achievement in visual effects in the past 12 months. Uh, Avatar exists to win this award. Big Jim Cameron knows visual effects. No ifs, ands, or buts. I mean, there's some great stuff in Maverick, Wakanda Forever, and the Batman. And I guess I'll quiet on the Western Front. (laughs) Um, But it's added. Avatar should win, will win for me. No question about it. I mean, that movie blew my mind at IMAX. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, it's uh, honestly, uh, it really speaks for itself. I think anyone who's seen it, they come up and they're looking at the this list of nominees. There are other craft categories where I think certainly you could find your spot and be like, this is the award for Maverick. Um, and that would be very deserving. But I do think this one is going to belong to Avatar The Way of Water and deservedly so. Uh okay, let's let's go to I might be pushing you on some of your I some of your limits on these. I don't know. You're I mean we didn't actually touch on that going in. You're very well prepared this year, I feel like. I know I, I know you actually wanted to do more, but I think this is about as prepared as you've been for this podcast in terms of seeing a really, really wide swathe of nominees across the board. Yeah, there are two categories where I let myself down. There are some craft categories where I've missed like one, uh, but there are two categories where I'm either completely shut out or like two for five. And that was a little disappointing, but for the most part, I've got my ground covered. Let's go to best costume design. The nominees for best costume design are Babylon, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. I watched Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris the other night, Andrew. I can't confirm she does indeed go to Paris. Um, Kind of a fun movie in the, the meta sense of watching Leslie Manville go through these houses of like fine fashion and playing a very different character and a very different personality. Uh, but it's just like it's it's like alternate universe Phantom Tread is essentially what I'm saying. <laughs> we we should have got Daniel Day-Lewis out of retirement for a cameo and Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. Was was Vicky Cripes in this one? Or? <laughs> no, Vicky, Vicky Cripes was not in this one. Um, this category is kind of interesting. Root Carter won for Black Panther. So not only is she someone who is one of the most renowned costume designers in the industry she has won for her work within this world um katrin martin who is the wife of baz lerman and has frequently been celebrated for her work on baz lerman's films also someone who's very very prominent here and jenny bevan who is the costume designer for mrs harris goes to paris is also someone who um, has become something of a kind of regular feature. 
She won this award three times, I think, uh, one of which was Cruella last year. I think that was last year. And I know she also won it for Mad Max Fury Road. I think someone who works with George Miller quite a bit. Any thoughts on this? I, I know you haven't seen Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, but outside of that, what, it's, what's it's jumping funny, out to you here? Not knowing anything about it, but just assuming what I'm assuming based on the times I've scrolled past it on Amazon Prime. It's We've got a lot of just big, bold, flashy costume movies in here. And then Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. Um, I think the four movies that I have seen would all be deserving winners based on what I've seen about them. <laughs> um, for me, Elvis really stands out in my stands out in my mind just because of what it is, and I think how much something we'll get into later. Things like production design and costume design are for a Baz Luhrmann film in general. And to pull it off completely and for that to be one of the highlights of the film, you've got obviously a performance anchoring it. And then um, the way it looks is just so important to a Baz Luhrmann film. Any film, Adam. Film is a visual medium, as we often say on this uh, podcast. Uh, Part of me really wants to say that Babylon should win, but I think I'm kind of all in on Elvis in this category. Yeah, I think there are other categories where that argument is easier to make for Babylon. Um, I I'm with you on Elvis, and I think the reason why so many it's the nature of the film that Baz Luhrmann made that so many of the scenes are recreations of iconic moments and one of the most iconic individuals ever to walk the face of the earth's life and career. They are images that we have seen before. So we have an understanding of what the costume looks like. Elvis, in his own right, and some of those costumes though, are also like a costume, like a Halloween costume, like a a cheap Vegas impersonator's costume, where there's a fine line between, you know, getting it where it just feels like Elvis and being like, oh, that guy looks like, you know, a knockoff Elvis. And that's something that certainly comes down to Austin Butler's performance, which we'll talk more about later, but it also comes down to the costume and the hair and makeup. I think those three things combine to make that performance for people, whether they like or loathe that movie, Andrew. And Plenty of people loathe that movie. Um, I, I think there is an agreement that Austin Butler is doing a very, very good job of what's a really difficult task, which is playing Elvis Presley in a movie. So I would go Elvis. I would say watch out for a Root Carter win. It's definitely possible, but I, I think Elvis should probably take it, and I'll go should win, will win. Yep, same with me. Should win, will win, Elvis. Uh, let's kind of stick here and go to, I guess, what's the related category in makeup and hairstyling. The nominees for Best Makeup and Hairstyling, All Quiet on the Western Front. The Batman, Black Panther, Elvis, and The Whale. I saw you shaking your head. I think that could be for one of two movies here, but I feel like it's possibly The Whale. There is, Adam. (laughs) I, I hear you. I hear you. What I will say, though, is 
if this category is being recognized, which it is, or sorry, if this film is being recognized, which it is, this is the category where you can't then snub it. <laughs> like it's <laughs> it's the entire movie. So I do understand it being here. Um it very well may win. And I think this is going to be the early one. And if the whale wins in best makeup and hairstyling, I would find it hard to believe that Brendan Fraser is not going to win best actor. And honestly, it might be, it might be more ridiculous. Or maybe we could all just be like, you know what? In the end, the voters went, yeah, the performance, uh, fine. It was really the makeup. That was the thing that was working in the movie. I don't know. I personally didn't find the makeup to be working in the movie. I just, the movie is not smart. The movie is in many ways pretty reprehensible. Uh, I say that as someone who loves a lot of Aronofsky's work. I don't know. I'm going to go with Elvis again here. I think just the, these are two categories where it feels like whether we see it up top, whether it goes the whole way through, um, the work that's done to make Elvis work in any way has to start with these two categories. And I think they did a really, really great job of it. Yeah, I found the whale to be insulting and manipulative, but that's neither here nor there. I think the whale will win. I think Elvis should win. Um, All Quiet on the Western Front, they do a great job of making those guys look really grimy on the front line. So, you know, kudos. Job well done. We, I mean, we could talk about that now and pick our spots, but I think for a lot of these movies, we probably have better chances for a slightly deeper conversations on films we haven't touched on on the pod all year um, what if we come into this next year, what if we come into this next year and i've just got like 100 notes on a google doc about just like hair and makeup on each movie great i love it let's make it a goal andrew if you haven't got 100 notes on hair and makeup categories next year you failed <laughs> it's in writing now Okay. Um. Let's see. Where will we go? Let's go to. Let's go to best animated feature film. Nominees here are Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, Marcel Duchamp with shoes on, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, The Sea Beast, and Turning Red. Is this the category where you've got a zero for having seen these? Yep, I'm done. That's that's tough. You're not an animation person, tough. right? I'm really like, not. I'm not. It, like, it would take like a lot. It would take me being like, I guess you watched you watched Wolfwalkers for me, but it takes a a level of advocacy for you to go beyond the fact that is this the is this like the classic Chris Ryan bit where it's that's like what a, I was gonna reference. I'm not quite for uh, children. Ho- ho- it's not. That's not where I'm at on this. I'm I'm not like future friend of the podcast Chris Ryan where I won't watch it and I just am like boycotting most animation. It's just I I'll get into scenarios where it's like I'm gonna watch something and I'll you know have things to catch up on and maybe I pass by Pinocchio on Netflix and then nine times out of ten I'm gonna opt for the non-animated movie. That's a personal problem in my mind that I need to give the hardworking directors and animators more of a shot when when doing this, but 
for this year, uh, I failed. Like, you know, some years like Soul Inside Out, like uh, I would be all over it. But for some reason, uh, this year just didn't happen. Did you see Turning Red? Because that's a Pixar thing you're referencing. And yeah, I don't don't know if you saw it. I did not. I missed it. Yeah. This is not my favorite list of animated nominees by any stretch of the imagination. It's kind of a pity in some ways. I think there's not something a little bit stronger because as much as Turning Red was very well received and a lot of people really strongly responded to it, it's definitely a year where there's not this just undoubted Pixar heavyweight and a smaller studio or something a little bit bolder could have got through. This is a year where I think Cartoon Saloon did have a film this year probably their weakest film to date but any of their other films would have actually come true and won this year um someone like Leica, i think they're looking being like oh if we'd got so very years like this we could have won it's a wide open one um i think guillermo del toro's pinocchio will win a large part of the reason why i think that it's a very beautiful film to look at it's quite good I enjoyed parts of it a lot and other parts of it considerably less, I think would be the way I describe my viewing experience of it. But I think Guillermo del Toro is very, very popular within the Academy and is a figure that people who love film love for his love of film. And I just think that's pretty hard to overlook. Marcel the Shell with Shoes on, again, I didn't like as much as I thought I would. I actually like a lot of Dean Fleischer Camp's shorts more than I, I liked it. But it is bolder and different and more interesting than what you generally get in this category. And I would like to imagine a world where that was the winner. Um, I'm going Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, though. We're in complete agreement, Adam. Pinocchio all the way. Should I should have made you go first in the one you don't you haven't seen any of them that's one. I'll have to be careful of that in future. Um uh, we might have got a puss of boots pick. Who knows? Um okay, let's go to let's do best international feature. The nominees for best international feature, all quiet on the western front, Germany. Argentina 1985, Argentina, Close, Belgium, EO, Poland, The Quiet Girl, on Colleen Kuhn, Ireland. Uh, there are nominees. This category is a little weird, gotta say. This was a stacked, stacked year for foreign films. Um, the most notable absence here is undoubtedly decision to leave, which was a real shock. I don't think, well, I don't think two of these films are very good. I have mixed feelings on a third, I would say. Um, so I think it's interesting how the category has come together. But we may not entirely be in unison on that, Andrew. What are your thoughts on Best International Feature Film this year? All Quiet on the Western Front did nothing for me, and I don't know why that is. Uh, maybe I'm just done with World War One movies. I don't know what it is. I just felt like it, it's like, hey guys, war is bad, and it's slapping you across the face with it. And the 
the juxtaposition of the men in rooms uh making decisions for people uh you know fighting on the front lines that are in a lower class than them is is on the nose to a degree where it it lacked the subtlety not quite in a way that the menu or triangle of sadness may have but it's just it's like we get it already kind of a thing um i don't know just didn't do much for me Argentina 1985 is a perfectly fine movie that I was bored to tears by. Um, the Quiet Girl I loved, EO I loved. Um, both of those uh, brought me to tears in, in different ways. Uh, um, and then Close, I'm, I think, higher on than you. I can see how people would go either way on that, but I think it was ultimately pretty effective and impactful for what it was trying to do. And I, I, I don't know what, what your big hang up on it is. So maybe we can talk about that at a later date, but for I don't me... know. Can we Andrew? That's, that's my, my concern with that is I don't want to empty the chamber on that this week. If we're going to talk about next week, for example. Well, it's definitely not going to be in my top 10, but, um, okay. Well, no, so... then, we, then we'll talk about it a little, a little bit now. Cause I, I think it is one of the more significant and kind of, ultimately one of the kind of showier films in the category with mm. with no decision to leave um the filmmaker element of this lacks a little bit of star power unless people are like really locked in on Yurtsy Skolomovsky's early work which was quite prominent but I don't know to what extent kind of the wider film community is thinking about that at this point uh Lucas Dant is emerged as a filmmaker at least to generate attention. I think he's very gifted and I don't think he knows what to do with it yet. And my thing with the movie is I found it to be completely like, I don't mean this in a, the positive sense, but unbelievable in a couple of key hmm. spots emotionally where I'm like, what that character is doing is not making sense. Um, and sometimes within a couple of minutes, he would rectify that. But there was only it, one spot it, for me. It but holds I, I a couple it... of big tricks, which we won't go into detail on because they cause spoilers. I think that takes balls, but you've got to, by the time the movie's played out, the audience has got to come away saying that was definitely the right decision and that was the right point in the film to do it. And all of those things, I don't think that balance is quite right. I think. For me, there was at least some of the more interesting stuff left on the table because of the timing of the key decision the film hinges on. And I I think that's something where to pull that at that moment, okay, you've really got to have then your, your point super tight and the rest of the film's got to pay off. And in ways I found it to be just kind of manipulative of the audience not to say that there isn't plenty of it that's generally affecting, but also somewhat cruel. And I say this, I didn't hate the film. Like I, it's, it's clearly well made. Like, I think there's a, with a few tweaks here or there, there's a really strong film in there. The potential for what it could be is greater. I just personally found a few decisions that didn't quite work for me. Uh, I think the cruelty is what worked for me. 
in some parts because it's, it's a cruel world, Adam. Um, and sometimes these things happen with an ex with with an explanation, but also without an explanation. Um, I the 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 hang up for me where it I, I think the flaws for me were those moments where you've got a character who you know some things about and you you've been set up and established to know a lot about who they are and then there's an action that they take that feels different than the character that we've been living with for the entire movie and i'm assuming one of the moments for you was that car scene without spoiling anything uh where you're like no this this wouldn't happen in this scenario but anyway um for the I guess getting down to the meats and bones of this category, I think it's all quiet on the Western fronts going to win. And for me, uh decision to leave should have won, but the quiet girl should have won for what's in this category. I mean, I can make a case for EO too. EO is awesome. Yeah. I, I, honestly, either of those movies, I would be fine with winning. Um, Part of me in my head is like, just maybe no one actually cares about All Quiet in the Western Front when it comes to picking it to win something, and it could go winless here. I think if Decision to Leave was nominated, that could have happened. I know that might sound crazy because it didn't make the five, but I think there's a big difference from when, if it was on the five, and people who were even dialing this in look and they're like, okay, Park Chan Wook, yeah, we'll go with that movie. Um, The second favorite in the odds what I'm looking at right now is Argentina 1985 and that would be even more baffling uh, honestly if All Quiet in the Western Front doesn't win with all its nominations and Argentina 1985 walks away at this I'd be blown away I just don't even know what possible logic there could be what kind of campaigning could lead to that close as an A24 film like they've got the show they've got the front runner now maybe that's part of the problem. All their eggs are probably in different baskets. They've got a lot to focus on with everything ever all at once. But yeah, I don't know. I, I would love, it goes without saying, talked about it on the, the pod after Oscar announcements. And we talked about it on the pod where we talked about the film. I would love The Quiet Girl to come away with this. Uh, I'm going to go All Quiet in the Western Front, though. If Argentina 1985 wins... No one's going to remember they saw it, even the people that voted for it in three years. <laughs> I don't think I'll remember the name of that film very soon. And I mean, it it's doesn't like... make it hard to remember the name of the film either. Um, but I just, I don't think it'll be there. It's very, very flat. It's just, it's fine. Like, it's fine. It's not bad. I didn't have a terrible time watching it. But it's... For whatever reason, I mean, good or bad, that you'd want to kind of spin it with, I think it's by far the least memorable of the five films nominated. It's like if uh, The Trial of the Chicago 7 took a Xanax. I don't know if I can go that far with that <laughs> film. Maybe, maybe The Trial of the Chicago 7 should have taken a Xanax. Well, that's, we're that's, in agreement there as well. That's what I'll say on that. Um, the film that I talk quite a lot about with it, which kind of ties up in some of the similar world, um, was Azor, a film that I loved ah, last year. Yeah, that was just so much more complex and dark and kind of rich as a world. Uh, 
that maybe that's unfair, but in my head, I'm just like, this is like, this is Azor for normies. <laughs> Shout out Numak. That's not what I was saying. I, I don't think Numak wants to watch Argentina in 1985. I don't um, think he's going to listen to this, so it's fine. That's true. Where are we? Some of my time. Where are we going next? Um, let's go. Best production design. The nominees in this category, All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar the Way of Water, Babylon, Elvis, and the Feyomans. I will say, Andrew, I think Babylon should and will win in this category. I think it's pretty undeniable, even with some strong competition, again, from Elvis, it's somewhere you'd expect Elvis to do pretty well in the voting. But I, I think even for people who hate Babylon, some of those sets are undeniable. I just find it really, really tough to imagine a world in which Babylon doesn't pick up an Oscar. That we won't be referring to it next week as the Academy Award winning Babylon. Yeah, I'm should win, will win as well. I mean... Even just recalling from from memory, thinking about the party house, for lack of a better word, or some of the various movie sets, uh, the recreation of New York, the recreation of these lots. Um, I mean, I, I think it's it's operating at the highest level in this category. I think Elvis has a case, but for me, it's Babylon. Okay, Andrew, let's go next to best sound. Nominees for Best Sound, All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, The Way of Water, The Batman, Elvis, and Top Gun Maverick. I think this is very, very simple. I don't know if you see any conflict in your own mind on this, but I do think this category should very much speak for itself. And could prove to be one of the only places, maybe the only place, where we see one of the year's most popular and most successful films get rewarded. I feel the need, Adam. The need for a Best Sound Oscar. Yeah, I, I think this category is interesting. Obviously, we used to have best sound editing, best sound mixing, and they have been combined into the one category in recent years. Um, kind of based on the general feeling of most voters do not know the difference, don't know what they're voting for, and they used to just pick the same film twice. So the two were put into the one category. I still think there's a fundamental misunderstanding, although, look, part of this comes from the sound branch nominating. I would like to see an evolution of this category where films get nominated for best sound that aren't just really big, bombastic, blockbustery type films. Uh, because you can do some really essential and important sound work at a much, much more modest level than that. But this year, they are all big, colorful, loud films. Um, and it's probably, probably too much of a dream for me to think that that could change at some point. But yeah, Top Gun, Maverick, 
is my pick for Aussie of the nominees should win um, and will win. Yeah, same page. Uh, double Maverick for me. And I hope that it wins as well. I'll add that in there too, just because it and, and Avatar, I think, to a degree, they are the movies of 2022 in terms of big box office success and getting people out to see movies in person. And I hope they're both uh, at least rewarded with something. And I think they will be. Okay, next up, best film editing. A category that traditionally has always been seen as a bellwether for best picture. It has been very, very rare over the years that a film could go on to win best picture without at least being nominated in this category. With that in mind, this year's nominees are The Banshees of Inisherin, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Tar, and Top Gun Maverick. I'll come straight out what I think should win this, and it's Elvis. Hmm. I was pretty dazzled by some of the editing in Elvis, I'll be honest, and Elvis is very dazzling and it's very, very showy. But there are a few sequences within Elvis that from the moment I first saw it, I was just kind of jaw on the floor at what they had managed to pull off. And again, this is something where I think it's going to work against it because they get tied to a lot of the showier sequences that will probably really, really irritate people who don't like the movie or irritate people who don't like Baz Luhrmann generally. Uh, but I, I do think if there is to be a kind of let's drill down and let's look at the craft and let's look at what's being done from a technical point of view with the editing within that film, I think it's very, very tough to top. Um Top Gun Maverick's editing was also really, really exceptional. It's part of why that film works just as well as it does. Um, it's perf- perfectly paced. And crucially, that comes down to a lot of its decisions in its editing. I think everything ever all at once will win. And I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, my uh, should win was Tar. I'm just kidding. Uh, my should win was Top Gun Maverick. Well, it is. Um, yeah, my should should win was Maverick, and I too think this is an area where everything, everywhere, all at once, uh, picks up a win and potentially uh, foreshadows something else, Adam. Yeah, that's very, very possible. It's kind of how this tends to play out. I I do want to say, I agree with all the the cases you made for Elvis as well. I think that that would be a deserving winner. I thought Banshees was really well-paced, and I think it's an exceptionally well-edited film as well. So the bottom four in this category, in terms of the odds, I think I can make cases for anyway. And for everything everything for for everything everything everywhere all at once is and is not i i can't say that the editing was something that standed out as one of the positives for me it's really tough because it is so out of control in spells of the film that it really would crash and burn if the editing wasn't good and 
that's well, maybe not a it's, <laughs> unpack that but, but that's maybe not a part i don't think like the film doesn't fall over to the point of like this isn't a film this doesn't work at all like i don't particularly like it it doesn't work for me but it functions as like oh yeah people made a film that is you know acceptable for release up there on the screen when you see it there's zero doubt about that i think that film without exceptional editing could have been a train wreck I, I mean, complete another train wreck that it doesn't have any kind of fandom and it's not here and could be a career ender. So it's one thing, I think, to laud the ideas that those guys have and the kind of energy that the Daniels bring to their writing, to their directing. I think without having an exceptional editor to maybe at times rein some of that in, but also to be able to get on the their page and understand how to construct their vision in a way that other people can then see and it doesn't just live in their heads. That is a major, major achievement. What I, when I say I'm not sure how to feel about it, it's kind of like, I guess it's the film that doesn't let you see the editing at all. And that can be a good and a bad thing. I, I'm not watching the other films. I've probably explained this before. Uh, my past studies leave me very, very acutely aware of editing and of decisions around cutting uh, more than anything. I have studied this in great detail, and it's just something that I just haven't been able to unlearn that when I watch films, a lot of the things that really jump out to me are framing and editing. That didn't happen in Everything Everywhere All at Once. And I also didn't have a great time. So it wasn't like I was so swept away in the movie that I didn't notice that. But I do recognize some of the issues I have with the film make it all the more difficult for it to hang together if it's not incredibly well constructed in the edit. So I I don't see specifically. Maybe I could sit down and watch it and be like, I'm going to purely watch this film to see what the editing is like. I don't know if I ever want to do that. Uh, but it would probably show up in that sense. I think the case I'm making, though, is also very easy for people who know nothing about editing to come to the conclusion of, which I think will happen in a few categories. I think it could happen in Best Original Screenplay. In fact, in some of the the trades Oscar preview, oh, we spoke to an Oscar voter and we got their opinion. A lot of people were laughing at one quote in particular, which was like, yeah, it should win best original screenplay because I don't know how you come up with that. And at that point, it's like, that's not what the original in best original screenplay actually means. But great that people are just voting based on misunderstandings of the English language. I don't know. Um I, I think it wins. Yeah, me too. Let's do Best Cinematography. The nominees for Best Cinematography. All Quiet in the Western Front. Bardo, False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths. Elvis. Empire of Light and Tar. I believe you're missing a couple here. Am I right in that? Yeah, Empire of Light and Bardo. 
I I think these are bad nominees. Honestly, I think they're bad nominees. Why is everything everywhere all at once not nominated here when it's nominated in all those other categories? I don't understand that. Someone's saying that it's like it achieves a lot in all other elements of film, but not in its cinematography. Like, yeah, if you're, I, in, if you're I'm not advocating film, for cinematography, like... but that's central to it. So I, that that's really puzzling to me. Um, and I just think generally this is a weird collection of movies. Like I love Roger Deakins. He's probably if he's not the best working cinematographer, he's right up there. Empire of Light is a train wreck of a film, but it's also just not his most interesting work. Um. All quiet on the Western Front. It's like, yeah, it looks okay, but we've we've kind of been here. Did we not have to do all this for 1917 a couple of years ago? A film which was not good. That Roger Deakins actually got his Oscar for. Um, I thought it was better than All Quiet. I don't know if that's saying anything, but you know what? I might agree with that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Roger Deakins' cinematography was definitely better. That's the yeah. cinematography in nineteen seventeen was pretty hard to argue against. Uh, Bardo is very well shot. It's just a completely insufferable film. But Darius Kanji is a genius, so I don't have issue with him being here. I don't know. All Quiet on the Western Front is an odds-on favorite here. I th- I think of the things nominated, it should be leaning towards Elvis and Tar as the films that I would put as maybe incorrectly so better positioned in the best picture race. But look, let's let's talk about all quite on the Western Front here, actually. Like I think a lot of people and perhaps influenced by the BAFTAs, and the BAFTAs probably influenced the Oscars. There is some crossover in voting, but I also do wonder is there just an element of Oh Jesus! Like the Baftas are giving fourteen nominations to that film. We should have nominated in some categories here too. And individual voters who maybe haven't done all their homework yet are like, "Yeah, okay, that one's that one's good." It won seven Baftas out of fourteen nominations. Don't understand that at all. Don't get it. I get its Oscar love even less though. It just didn't really work for me. I didn't find it particularly interesting at all. Yeah. Uh, I found the book more compelling. And this leaves out some, I think, uh, important passages of the book that would have made it more rich emotionally beyond the gritty like truce of war element it's going for that that obviously has nothing to do with how it looks or how i would view it from from that standpoint but i don't know uh best center cinematography who should win uh decision to leave but they're not nominated here so (laughs) not gonna happen um I think All Quiet in the Western Front will win. It's the the type of thing that can just feel like, all right, let's let's box check the war movie as the thing we thought 
uh, you know, impress us most in cinematography. What should win in this category? Sure, Elvis, fine, yeah. Vegas residency. Uh, well, let's go with that. Um, but yeah, I haven't seen Empire of Light. I haven't seen Bardo. Based on your descriptions there, um, don't. probably won't get around to it. Absolutely uh, don't. Uh, you know, Tar just for the uh, the monster hunter. Uh, no, no, just kidding. Uh, but the, the way Tar looks, Tar, was looks, at least Tar the problem, looks good. Tar looks was good. At least the problems I had with it. I actually like Tar for about seventy five minutes. Um. Yeah, let's just go. Will win. All quiet should win. Elvis. Yeah, I mean, I just I I one strongly dislike how many of these we are aligning on right now. I think we've got one category so far where we differ, and that is that's alarming, Andrew. That's not what I want from this exercise. Don't know I think happened. it's more about the Oscars than about us this year. We'll see. I mean, we were both pretty horribly wrong last year, and I think me maybe more so. I don't know. We'd have to check the tape on that. But, yeah, we're kind of in lockstep so far. Um. Okay, let's go to... Let's do the sets of paired categories is the way I'll put it now and then that should leave us if my calculations are right with the big four I think are that's you all counting I think we have not done documentary feature if you'd like to get to that before well, the... that's that's what I'm that's what I'm including so we'll okay. do documentary feature and short we could do those two next um cool the nominees for best documentary feature are All the Breeds, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, Fire of Love, A House Made of Splinters, and Navalny. You have seen two of five here, two right? Of, That's what we said. Yeah, two of five. Yeah. Fire of Love and Navalny. Uh, at least conveniently. They are the two favorites in the betting right now. Pretty close. This is a close race. Navalny is the current favorite. Navalny is good. I'm not going to disparage it. I think it's good. It's certainly saved by a really strong and compelling scene. One scene that I think elevates the entire film. Uh... This is just a no contest for me in terms of what should win, though. And I also think that the other film that should really be pushing close is not Navalny. Uh, Fire of Love is the film for me. I had a very, very strong reaction to Fire of Love. I think it's a pretty exceptional documentary film. I think the achievement there is... One that shouldn't be overlooked because, yeah, you've got all this great footage, this honestly like sci-fi-esque footage of volcanoes that the subjects of your film had shot all these years ago, but you inherit that and it's how do you package that together in a way that really sells it, that isn't just I believe the film ultimately did end up with some sort of Nat Geo distribution through 
kind of Hulu and Disney Plus and this part of the world. But it doesn't just strike you as, oh, here's a Nat Geo documentary on volcanoes. It's much more artful than that. It's much more soulful for that. It's much more human than that. And I think that is something that should not be taken for granted. And I think add in those decisions that shape the film like that with the incredible story and the incredible footage at its disposal. For me, it's the clear winner. Um, Laura Poitras, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed is also a masterpiece. So I'll go that far. Her and Nan Golden film, which I believe lands on HBO Max like in a week or two, which is always a weird decision. If that got on HBO Max before voting closed, I think that probably wins. Um, But yeah, for me, should win, will win is Fire of Love. Although I'm going to be upfront that I'm being a little bit hopeful here because Navalny has an element of topicality and is a film about an enemy of Putin that for people who don't want to do the homework and they want to vote with their I don't know, their morals Navalny's a complicated figure to do that with but I don't know if all the voters will do the digging to even get to that level of complication they'll just be like, enemy of Putin is friend of mine, here's an Oscar yeah, I'll uh, I'll say for that reason it will win. Um, Fire of Love should win based on all that I've seen. Um, yeah, I don't have much more on that. I I thought Fire of Love was was pretty uh, compelling both for the visuals and the the relationship there within, and what their specific work did to them as people, and I think especially like. They, I won't spoil it, but they'd been together, uh, for quite a while doing what they were doing. By the time all this footage was compiled, and I think, uh, in my uh, Linklater esque fasc- fascination with people's relationships and love over time, I think it appealed to me on that front. Uh, but I think Navalny will overtake it, even though I think it's the superior documentary. Um, I I had to take Navalny down half a star just because of the TikToks. So there's that. The one thing I will say here is the documentary branch is consistently weird, and that comes true in the nominations. I think none more so than the fact that Moon Age Daydream was not nominated, which is criminal honestly it's yeah. completely ridiculous um that's a look it's a strong category without that but with that i think it's a real knockout category for documentary which has been kind of a feature in recent years but still the documentary category ends up or the documentary branch of the academy ends up doing some pretty weird stuff regularly uh, sticking with them, I guess. Best documentary short. The nominees in this category are The Elephant Whisperers, Haul Out, How Do You Measure a Year, The Martha Mitchell Effect, and Stranger at the Gate. Um, We are getting into the category where there are some films I have not seen. One of them appears in this category, which is How Do You Measure a Year, directed by Jay Rosenblatt who 
whether that was last year or the year before. Let me check. Um, that was last year. He was also nominated in this category for When We Were Bullies, which was an absolutely terrible, <laughs> honestly, abhorrently like self-centered and ignorant film. It just it was quite something. Um, so I have not managed to see How Do You Measure a Year, which is followed up on that. I would like to think it's a whole lot better. Um, but it hasn't been available to see anywhere. I do not live in a place where there's the opportunity to go and see all of these films um, theatrically. I know in the US that happens in select cities, but I'm living off the scraps I can find online. What I'll say on this category is for easily for me, easily to stand out is haul out. Um, I think just in terms of everything it's doing from a cinematic perspective, um, it's by far the most accomplished and the most interesting of these shorts. It's about a, a Russian scientist who basically to say he like monitors large numbers of walruses would be the understatement of a century. They are very large numbers of walruses. There are some unbelievably striking and memorable shots in this film. And I guess the overall kind of heart of the story is very interesting and very compelling and very relevant and urgent. Uh, for anyone who hasn't seen any of the shorts, but particularly this one, a lot of them are available on the New Yorker website or via New Yorker's YouTube channel in the US. Um, some available worldwide, but not all through the same platform. Haul Out is the one for me where I would like to see it win. I think The Elephant Whispers wins. I only watched this earlier. I don't have an issue with it winning. It's very nice. It's very charming. It's, look, it's about two people who care for orphan elephants um, in, I believe, southern India. And who doesn't love elephants? I certainly do, Andrew. Lots of kind of fun, charming all wordy shots in the film and it's on Netflix and I think for people who maybe don't dive all the way in on something like Best Documentary Short they might just catch the 40 minute one on Netflix or if not they might be like come on elephants let's just vote for the elephants so I'm going to go the Elephant Whispers as the winner even though Hollow should win I abstain. Yeah, you've got to make picks. We need you to have a full ballot to see how you do. Uh, you double elephants. Double yeah, elephants. This can just be like, if you want to just go favorites, you can do that. If this would be like someone, I don't know, um, I don't know if this is the same in like the Kentucky Derby, but in like the Grand National here, people would be off and like, yeah, yeah, you got to put a bet. Just pick a horse or pick a name. And people, That's what they do. They pick, oh, yeah. I'll go with that name. So you can do that too. You can be the, you know what? I haven't watched these films, but I'm going to, I like elephants. You can be that voter. Do like elephants. Um. Okay. Let's do the shorts. Best live action short. 
if I was going to abstain, this would be the category that brings me closest because this is where all the other films I haven't seen are. Um, I have seen uh, La Pupille, Alice Rohrwalker and Alfonso Cuaron's short film, which is on Disney Plus worldwide. I have seen Night Ride. I have not seen An Irish Goodbye, um, which there's special screenings of it happening in cinemas in Ireland after the Oscars. Not used for me for this pod um, I have not seen Ivalu and I have not seen The Red Suitcase uh, I believe Ivalu is available to rent I just never got round to it I've, and Irish Goodbye and The Red Suitcase are not available online so anyone who has seen those has seen them in a Oscar nominated here's the short films package I believe last time I checked is it still the case? It is still the case. Very, very slightly, but An Irish Goodbye is the favourite to win the Oscar in this category, which honestly, in spite of all the nominees, could make it the sole Irish Oscar winner on the night. I have a very, very tough time not seeing the Alfonso Cuaron movie come true here, particularly Alice Rohrwacker and her sister have become very notable um, figures in the European film world in their own right, and I think a lot of people know them, but having that name recognition plus Quran, which is a different level of name recognition, and having the backing of Disney, uh, I just can't see Le Pupil not winning here, even though I was pretty underwhelmed in my viewing of that film. So I'm going to go against the favorite here, which also happens to be from my home country, because I just think voters of the Academy are going to be like, what? Alfonso Cuaron's involved in this one? Well, that's got to be the best. In order to fast track my citizenship, I am going to go with the Irish goodbye, uh, the favorite and, and, and the favorite and, all of our hearts across Ireland, which I will soon call home. I have not seen it, so I don't know if I even like it. Yeah, I'll be rooting for it, but I don't know, Andrew. I don't know. I have not seen it. It played, I couldn't get to, just after the nominations, there was a special screening of The Quiet Girl with Colm Barade and some cast members in attendance. And before that, they played an Irish goodbye, and the directors of it were in attendance too. And I couldn't make it; I had to work, so I I missed the opportunity to, you know, take in both Irish nominated films. You know, excluding Banshees, um, into one sitting. But I look, look, I'm sure it will surface online immediately after the Oscars. Probably the reason for this, if anyone's wondering. The Oscars have very strange eligibility rules for short films where all of these films will be widely available online generally for, for months and months and months. And then when they're submitted or when they reach long list of stage, they must immediately be pulled from the internet, no longer be available online so that they can only be available theatrically for a period of time. Some films will say make their way back out there. Um, some then get released for rental or purchase and some increasingly in recent years 
do these kind of partnerships again. A lot of exposure, and I would think are very, very good for guiding, particularly in docks towards the winners, like the New Yorker element. And the Guardian in recent years have done quite a bit of that too, where these notable newspapers or magazines, um, online publications kind of partner with for the distribution. And I guess add something as well to that. Um, let's do best animated short, because I should have done that with best animated feature. I have seen all of these. The nominees are The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse. The Flying Sailor, Ice Merchants, My Year of Dicks, An Ostrich Told Me the World is Fake and I Think I Believe It. This is a really good category, first and foremost. Um, all these films are interesting and or beautiful to look at. I wouldn't stand by the content of all of these films. I think The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse, which is a literary sensation I'd heard from a people in my life, I found just... I found to be very reductive and the kind of self-help kind of nonsense that I don't think is good for anyone. Uh, but look, if people take positive things from it, good for them. And Oscar told me the world is fake, and I think I believe it is fantastic. I think Ice Merchants is also really great. I would say An Ostrich Told Me should win. The Boy to the Fox and the Horse is guaranteed to win. Guaranteed. It will play to the broadest audience, and I do think there will be some level of recognition uh, from people from when this was just a book. Um, as opposed to when it is now a short film. I What I will say is it looks great. Like, does it just look like the illustrations of the book? I think that's possible without me knowing the book very well, but it does look very good. So the animation is not where it falls short, but I think overall, as a short film, it is not the best in the category. So it will win, <laughs> as often happens at the Oscars. So that's my winner. For best animated short film, I'm gonna go with the Ice Merchants because it makes me think of uh like hockey players that like maybe he like gets a lot of rebound goals that he doesn't create for himself. So I'm so I'm gonna go with that Ice Merchant. Final answer, Regis. I I appreciate it. It's interesting. It's also a really good pick. Good film. Uh, I, you're throwing away one here. You're throwing away your picks. That's fine. Where That's fine. You, could, you could actually gain ground on me by not having seen some of these. The An Irish Goodbye pick, which might just be true, to be like, hey, the Bucky's are saying one thing I haven't seen. I'll go with that. You might be giving one back to the field here. One for me, one for you, Adam. Best original song. Maybe the most consistently pointless and weird category at the Academy Awards. The nominees. <laughs> Applause from Tell It Like a Woman. A film that I honestly have not heard of other than every time I come across this. This is, this is from the yearly... Diane Warren. Okay. Not Elizabeth Warren, as I said last year for <laughs> Diane Warren's nomination. <laughs> um, Hold My Hand from Top Gun Maverick. Performed by 
our music and lyrics by Lady Gaga and Blood Pop. I don't know what Blood Pop is, but cool. Lift Me Up from Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Music by Thames, Rihanna, Ryan Coogler. He's actually credited on that. And Ludwig Goranson. Natu Natu from Aurora. Music by M.M. Caravani. And This Is A Life from Everything Everywhere All At Once. Music by Ryan Lott, David Byrne, and Mitski. Uh... The winner in this category should be very, very simple. My only concern is it's going to require the Oscars to look past a lot of very famous people to make the right decision based on the fact that they are a movie body. Um, Nadu Nadu from Aurora is by far the best in this category, the most integral to a film. And if we're going to talk about which of these songs will people actually remember, it's undoubtedly Nadu Nadu for anyone who's seen or And what's just kind of integral to a movie, which I do think that this needs to be, they should just rework this category. I think this category is valid if it's an original song that takes place within the film. I'm done with all this end credits song bullshit that gets pop stars to the Oscars every year and helps them to win an EGOT. Like, that's just not what this should be about. The song should have to be within the film. Not in the end credits, within the film. And then I think it's a different story. Then you're talking about original songs in musicals. and You're talking about songs that are composed specifically to play a certain moment. I think that's an interesting award. It's become something entirely different. That honestly, when there aren't awards for a whole bunch of other very worthwhile deserving categories i think stunt performer or best stunt work being the one that comes up most often just what's essentially best song over the end credits this should not be a thing and with that the song that is not a song for the end credits natu natu should be the winner are you predicting it to win as well yeah okay uh, it's a challenge. It. It's it's going to take, as I said, they're going to have to not vote for the famous people. They're going to have to look at Lady Gaga and Rihanna's name on a ballot and be like, David Byrne. Look, I find it tough not to just give David Byrne Oscars. But this is for that very reason, clear. That, or think... or you have not seen yet, I believe. I, I think you should you should get to it pretty soon. It's It's kind of undeniable. And a lot of people watched it and it became a big sensation. And it was not submitted as India's shortlisted film for Best International Film. So it couldn't be nominated there. So there was a big awards push. So awareness of the film will have gone beyond even what it could be. Because they wanted to get into either Best Picture or Best Director. I wish we knew how close that was. I would say it's probably not too far away on both counts. I think this is where it'll pay off. There's no other opportunity to reward the film and it's deserving. But I, I'm not looking to... I've said too much. I'm influencing you. When was uh, the voting day? Oh, like two weeks ago. The week. All right. Uh, cool. Thank you. Uh, Post-Super Bowl bump, I think Lift yes. Me Up is going to win. Should win, I will withhold judgment until seeing RRR next week. 
Mm. Okay, interesting. Best original score. Easy for me. The nominees. All Quiet in the Western Front, Volker Bertelman. Babylon, Justin Hurwitz. The Banshees of Inisharan, Carter Burwell. Everything Everywhere All at Once, Son Lux. The Fablemans, John Williams. Go on. You said easy for you, so I'll let you take the yeah, lead. Ba- Babylon should win, will win. Justin Hurwitz could just like score my life, and my life would be all the better for it. <laughs> Um, obviously there, it's something that at some points is going to remind me of, uh, La La Land. So I'm going to have that natural, uh, sensation in my brain, but I think it does its own things in, uh, different points. And if Justin Hurwitz is nominated for a score, I'm probably going to lean towards it. Um, I don't know how my odds align with your odds, but I, I think it's going to win as well. And we'll get two Babylon wins despite it being an incredibly polarizing movie. Yeah, I'm in agreement. Um, And I think the Academy seem to really be in on Justin Hurwitz, as they should. His scores are pretty great. The one thing I will say, it's way down the odds, so it's not going to happen. If he wasn't to win, the Banshees of Sharon should win this. Uh, Carter Burwell's score is fantastic. Um, it's the only other score there that I really think of. I don't really think of score too much when I think of everything everywhere all at once. So that's a... That's kind of a weird nomination, it feels like. That's the kind of nomination you get when you're getting nominated for everything. Um, I know a lot of people like All Quiet in the Westerfield score and speak about, you know, that was my favorite part of the movie, which is often something I think when the movie isn't very good, the people will say. But if it wins here, I think that could be actually a sign of it being a bigger issue in the wider... Look, I'm all for international cinema playing a bigger part of the Oscars. If on the Western Front starts winning like up above its station in some of these heavier categories, I think that's concerning and will be bad for the future of the Oscars and maybe not great for movies. Where are we now? We're on screenplays. We're we've got uh, probably the sixth biggest awards. Um with the exception of supporting, which we've taken care of. Uh, let's start with Best Adapted Screenplay. Another easy one for me. The nominees for Best Adapted Screenplay. All Quiet on the Western Front. Glass Onion, An Eyes Out Mystery. Living. Top Gun Maverick. Women Talking. Adam, Women Talking was not false advertising. Uh, this movie f- features a lot of women talking. Do you know about Mark uh, Wahlberg? I think Are you aware of that at the SAG Awards? Does that come across you your Twitter like feed? Or anything? Uh, he just mistakenly, in I believe reading a nomination, called the film Women Are Talking. <laughs> well, they are in this film. I think it does some things visually that take it beyond uh play shot on play on screen but even mm. though there are limited like settings and that sort of thing i think there are some things that take it beyond that but a lot of it is powered by these heavy hitters like rooney mara and claire foy jesse buckley judith ivy francis mcdormand for a little bit uh uh 
in rooms talking things out and this the script is the propulsive force in the movie also ben wishaw gets to talk as well just not as much you know he he really under understands his place in the whole debate and i'm he listens, I think Andrew, which is he's important. If if we were to add to the title, it could be women talking, man listening. Yes, uh, factual. Uh, all quiet on the Western Front again. Just keeps popping up. Won't leave us alone. Uh, <laughs> Glass Onion definitely has a screenplay. Um, and Does features. It? Are we sure of that? Uh, or it could have just been Daniel Craig. They might riffing. just made some of it up, honestly. Uh, Maverick, yeah, sure, why not? Uh, Living. No, was no, no. That... I'm gonna pu- I'm gonna push back on that. Uh, should win Top Gun Maverick. Uh, should win Top Gun Maverick. In terms of that film working, the whole thing, like the project dies, and never gets off the ground. Or well, it should. It probably would have got off the ground. Um. <laughs> if you're the, forgetting if the, about if the screenplay is not as good as it is but for it to become the massive success or to become the thing that is both as critically and commercially successful as it is it it hinges on the story being that good and the reality is how often to some sort of like mainstream popcorn entertainment does a sequel come along, let alone an original come along that is as well written, well constructed as Top Gun Maverick? Not very often at all. So I just, I don't, I don't need to assure Top Gun Maverick. No, oh, it's on this. it's it's number it's a, two. It's in a my serious in here. work. I will also say, I'll maybe jump with the gun on you on this. Uh, living is pretty exceptional as a piece of writing. Um, it's I don't know is there many tasks more unenviable in the entirety of film than being like yeah how about we just remake uh, Ikiru <laughs> and we just go and like open up Kur- Kurosawa's work and we're like okay well how do we how do we approach this and I would say if you're going to do that, maybe the way to do it is get Kazuo Ishiguro, one of the greatest writers alive, um, to write your screenplay, his first screenplay. I believe I'm right in saying that. His work has been adapted. Um, Remains of the Day and Never Let Me Go before, but I do believe his first screenplay is Living. Am I right on that? No, I'm not right. He's written many more. Anyway, discount that part. I think it's a really, really strong screenplay, a good reimagining of that film, and a very, very good film. Yeah, my power rankings here are women talking, uh, Maverick and Living in the top three, and then like 60 yards of dog shit, and then the other two. Um, So should win, will win for me is women talking, and I'm assuming for you uh, should win is Top Gun Maverick and will win is women talking, but you can tell me a little more about that. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, we haven't talked about women talking yet, and honestly, the Oscars haven't given us a whole lot of opportunities. Maybe we talk about it more next week. I don't know what Andrew's list looks like. He doesn't know what my list looks like. Uh, It's really good. (laughs) It was the film, and I don't know why it just evaded me for so long. 
It was the last Best Picture nominee I got to see. I really had to do everything in my power to get to it. And I don't know. It's not like I was expecting to have not much of a reaction to it. I just didn't really have any expectation of any sort, I guess. Maybe in part because of how long it took for me to get to see it. Because, you know, the cast is exciting. And I really, really enjoyed it. I think it was really, really good. And kind of very, very watchable, which is impressive given the subject matter. So I'm a big fan of that movie. I think the screenplay is excellent. It also, it kind of won its guilds version of this, worth noting, which hmm. seems like a very good indicator in that part. So, yeah, women talking for best adapted screenplay. Best yeah, I won't or... give any anything oh. away, but at the at the very least, we will be having an honorable mention conversation about it in more detail next week. So, best original screenplay: The Banshees of Inisherin, Everything Everywhere All at Once. The Fablemans, Tar, Triangle of Sadness. True. I will be going to dive headfirst into that Triangle of Sadness if Ruben Oslin comes away with a Best Original Screenplay Oscar for Triangle of Sadness. Um, <laughs> I, I um... honestly, I might become the Joker to lead into the meme. That's just. I can't comprehend it. We haven't really talked about Tar yet. We'll get there. I mean, you talked a bit about Tar. Neither of us are crazy about Tar. The more I go through this exercise, though, and talk about some of these other films involved, I'm like, you know what? If you got to give Tar a bunch of Oscars, give Tar a bunch of Oscars, because there's greater evils that need to be stopped here. I'm imagining like that portion where they're reading like the, the directions almost. I can't... the the formal version of what it's called for Triangle of Sadness when they're reading out the nominees and it's like, man shit's in toilet, blah, That's blah, 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 blah. It's going to be some part of the Woody Harrelson communist captain and vomiting and like, it's that's what it's going to be. They're going to showcase that and everyone enjoyed it. I'm not, you know what? We're going to try and keep my mouth as shut as possible here, Andrew. Nothing good can come out of it. Um, I mean, I've got a, I, I'm debating going with my instincts and my heart in this scenario because what I think should win is Banshees of Inishirin, which is my favorite out of these categories and might be my favorite screenplay for from anything that will be on my, my top 10 list. But a couple weeks ago, I predicted and everything everywhere just domination and the tea leaves are aligning for that that doesn't always happen but i i think i just need to commit to the bit and say that's what will win so your should win is banshees of inishirin and the will win is everything everywhere all at once uh my should win is the banshees of inishirin and my will win is the banshees of inishirin the academy really really likes Martin McDonough. They gave him Oscars for three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. <laughs> I don't think they're going to not give him an Oscar for this. And, like, again, speaking of, like, great writers, one of the best dramatic writers alive, 
um, really hinging from his work on stage more than anything. I guess that reputation was forged, but just an increasingly significant figure in the world of film. I think this is the one I, I for quite a while, I felt like what was going to happen is we were going to get a split screenplay and director. What happens above that, maybe even a, a different thing in its own right, but between screenplay and director, one was going to go to Martin McDonough and the other would go to the Daniels. It seems like at the moment that best director is going one way, not to jump the gun here, but uh, yeah, best original screenplay for me going to Martin McDonough for Banshee's Win Share. And then there were four. The big four, Andrew. Uh, let's start with Best Actress, which I think is just marginally. Well, actually, the Best Picture is probably the least interesting of these four categories. But of the other three, we're not going to pull Soderbergh and move Best Picture out of its last slot. Um, I think just slightly less interesting is Best Actress. The nominees, Kate Blanchett for Tar, Anna de Armas for Blonde, Andrew Riseborough for To Leslie, Michelle Williams for The Fablemans, and Michelle Yeoh for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Things are interesting <laughs> in this race. Kate Blanchett was a long, long time penciled in as this is her, I believe, third Oscar. It's just a formality. She's going to win. And as everything ever all wants to surge in all the other categories, Michelle Yeoh has kind of gone along with that um, to the point where, let me confirm it, but I believe she is now the betting favorite. She is. We, of course, had the Andrea Riseborough drama when she got nominated kind of out of the blue in a very short period of time. All those people were wowed by her performance, felt she was very deserving. Uh, you and I have both seen To Leslie since. Some of us have seen To Leslie multiple times. And I would say, you know what, I'm in agreement with those people that it's probably deserving of being nominated. So, no real issues with it there. I think the controversy probably killed its chances of winning. Which I wonder... <laughs> At the time when the nominations were made, how close that would be. Probably not. I'm sure Kate Blanchett was on every ballot, but that might be an interesting thing to see. This is a two-horse race between Kate Blanchett and Michelle Yeoh. I'm not pouring cold water on Andrew's surprise Anna de Armas pick and saying that. Uh, I think that's very much just the reality of this situation. Even within the last 24 hours or so, there has been further controversy after Michelle Yeoh uh, shared a segment of a Vogue article on her Instagram, um, which made the case for why, you know, essentially, let's give someone else a turn, um, was, I believe, the gist of the extended quote there when it came to Kate Blanchett, which allegedly may, may break the Academy rules on what nominees are allowed to say about fellow nominees. Who knows how that factors into things or what else might come of this in the next 48 hours. Don't know if the Academy want to wade in too deeply 
in the defense of the white nominee um, at the expense of an Asian nominee who could become, I believe, the first Asian woman to win Best Actress. This is just very messy. And it's a very close race. What are your thoughts, Andrew? Who do you think is going to be crowned Best Actress? First of all, I don't care about the Academy's rules whatsoever. So I just want to get that on the record. Uh, I think uh, nominees should be allowed to shit talk one another in public as much as they want. <laughs> I think that would be incredibly entertaining. Probably be good for um, those ratings they're so worried about, honestly. Yeah, I mean, are you, are you kidding me? That's that's television. Um, Colin Farrell just dunking oh. on Austin Butler not being able to drop his Elvis accent for months before this. Yeah, that would be great. Um, ooh, should win. Andrea Riseborough for two yeah. Leslie. Wow, look it at was, you! It, Were you invited to those screenings? Uh, yes, it was at a at a backyard barbecue. <laughs> um, it was delicious. Great you cocktails. At, you were at Marin's screening, his personal screening. Yeah, me me and Marin were hanging out. Uh he he had asked me for tips months before filming about southern accents and I helped him out a little bit. Um who will win? Michelle Yeoh. And I think I'd prefer that over Blanchett if it's the two horse race. That's where I'm at on this. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Um I don't, I don't, again, Tara's not a film I'm particularly big fan of. I have very little zero issue with Kate Blanchett's performance. I think she's undoubtedly great. Like, just generally, I don't think there's any point of disputing that at this stage. Um, and there's countless performances that she's given I love, but I do think in that film, does anyone, is that film... I mean, it's a Todd Field film, so yeah, people will have paid attention. Does it break through to like the mean place it gets to if any other actress is playing it? And I, I don't know how many people can give that performance and pull off that authority and that kind of complexity. Should win, will win, Kate Blanchett. The thing is, Adam, is we all really care about problematic conductors, so it's about time that a film came along that showed that public discourse. And listen, Bradley Cooper is going to come hot in the heels with his own film about a problematic conductor and composer next year. So you've got <laughs> to look forward to it. It's the golden era for that. <laughs> it sure is. Um, okay, best actor. This rarely happens. I think people say it happens. It doesn't. There's usually a couple of stinkers in here. <laughs> Andy Andrews can argue there's one this year, but I, I think it's a really, really strong category and a, just a very kind of compelling and likable mix of nominees where I'm like, yeah, you know, what? I'm good with this. This is fun. Nominees are Austin Butler for Elvis. Colin Farrell for the Banshees of Inisherin. Brendan Fraser for The Whale, Paul Meskel for Aftersun, and Bill Nye for Living. 
Andrew, this is uh, this is really tough for you. This is quite a few of your darlings here. This is a few of your favorites of the year pitted against each other. So what way are you leaning on this? And why is it Brendan Fraser in the whale? Um, Should win. Paul Meskel, after Sun. That haunting performance has lingered with me since I saw it. I have to watch it again uh, in the coming days to trim down my top 10 list. Uh, Bill Nye, I thought, was just ever so charming and heart-wrenching and living. A movie that I don't know how many people would have seen. So if you haven't seen it, I urge you to watch it. I think it's a really moving film and something that is is really good to watch in the morning between job applications. Uh, it's the subject matter just really lands with you. Colin Farrell, tremendous in Banshees of Inishirin. Uh Brendan Fraser in a terrible movie trying to make the best with what he's working with. Of that movie, the performances that I have the least problem with is Fraser and Hong Chow. Whatever they're doing to that Sadie Sink character, I want better for Sadie Sink because that character is just just terribly written. The Ty Simpkins character, what the fuck is that? Uh, uh, the ex-wife, just Jesus Christ, what are we doing here? So that's about I think they deserve better. Yeah, they all, so many people deserve better. Brendan Fraser, I hope he's, I hope Killers of the Flower Moon is great and his role in that. Uh, I It'll probably be a small role from what I've read if I'm familiar with that correctly. I hope what happens because of the whale makes his career have a second act uh, that he deserves because he's obviously gone through so much since his heyday of stardom with the mummy and all that i just hate this movie so much so i'm going should win or uh paul meskel will win austin butler i think the brandon fraser thing is and this i this is awful it's awful to have to say this and that the thing gets reduced in this way i feel like the comeback from the wilderness narrative that had a lot of steam and I think essentially got the whale on people's radars and ultimately helped him to get to the nomination has been one-upped by Kiwi Kwan in a film that people like a whole lot more and that's awful like I don't, I'm not interested in pitting them a who's sadder story like is more conveniently kind of in position for this award but I, I do feel like as that race has got closer and as other people have gained momentum it's felt like that part of the Brendan Fraser narrative has died away. I do think, thankfully, that doesn't matter. I think it's a really strong performance with pretty terrible, you know, material to work with. I do think, don't forget it, like, I don't know if you remember even, or if you've watched at the time, the Soderbergh film, No Sudden Move, that went straight to HBO Max in the middle of the pandemic. Like, Brendan Fraser was really good in that. And then Soderbergh was first to that i guess in terms no. of a really high profile filmmaker being like yeah let's get brendan fraser back here um and yet with being in a martin scorsese film i think 
Brenna Fraser is going to have that next chapter and will be just fine from a career perspective. The part that's killing me here is I really, really love Colin Farrell and I would love him to have an Oscar and I think he's absolutely brilliant in Banshees of Inisherin. I think Austin Butler has to win. I think he has to win. I feel like I don't know if I outright predicted it when we did our Elvis pod, which is quite a while ago now. I think you did. I definitely said I just couldn't see a world where he wasn't nominated. Like there, there just weren't going to be five performances better than that. Again, I know this film is one that a lot of people hate. And to be clear, I'm not one of them. I really like Elvis. I think you really like Elvis too, Andrew. <laughs> Uh, we're on an increasingly small island, you know. Uh, we've either, or maybe a big island that we've got a lot of space on, depending what way. We're, we're like, why did it. you do this to us, Tom Hanks? <laughs> uh, Tom Hanks is the problem for sure. Tom Hanks is the problem. He's the reason why we've got all the space, though. Um, I just I I rewatched it again the other day, and I've rewatched it a lot of times. I think it's probably the fourth time I've seen it. Do I like it as much as I did the first time? I I don't think I do. Uh, does Austin Butler remain just as kind of like... I, just astonishing. Like, I know we've seen him in other things. I know he had a very kind of eye-catching appearance of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But... It's gonna look so stupid historically if Austin Butler doesn't win that because it's just as it's as star making as any role can get. He had to play Elvis Presley. He was not a big name. He goes into it. He nails it. Nails it. The physicality, the energy. Need I say the voice? Um, on multiple levels. Like he did a lot of his singing too, and people weren't like. God, the singing is terrible early in this film. Why didn't they just use Elvis's voice? In fact. A lot of people didn't notice, and then in other places they used composites of the two voices. I just, I think he has to win. I think he should win. He will win. I, I still want Colin Farrell to win. Most of all, it's also I think would be the best speech, would be the best moment possibly of the whole thing if Colin Farrell wins. It's possible, but I think things have been trending Austin Butler's way, and that's not to mention. The tragic death of Lisa Marie Presley, which I think is is possibly also going to figure into some sort of emotional element of this too, um, and probably lead to yeah, if he wins, that would be a a great moment, and I'm sure a great speech too. There's also, I think, from an Oscars perspective, they need to work out like the balance of there's something exciting and there's something much more vibrant about the future of movies. And I think something that is going to get more young people engaged. If whatever he is, what age is Austin Butler? Um, Austin Butler is 31 years old. If 31 year old Austin Butler, just kind of goes from not being a really big name, being someone that is known for their work in Disney channel and Nickelodeon shows to all of a sudden being this is one of the biggest actors in the planet and just like that they could win a best actor nominee i think there's something more interesting and exciting about the oscars if there's a path for newcomers like that the flip side of that is 
I mean, in age, you've got Bill Nye at the opposite end of the scale, but also you've got, for different reasons, Colin Farrell and Brendan Fraser, too, in that, you know, these are people we really like as an industry, or these are people who just have a great body of work, or these are people who maybe should have won before. Paul Meskell fits the Austin Butler mold, too, where you could just be like, this is someone who, this is an amazing performance, and they're now one of the most important actors on the planet. Like, I, I think the Oscars is generally too slow to get on board with this is the person who's gonna play a big part in shaping what movies look like for the next 10 15 20 years and i think also butler they, have... they can't miss that for for his performance they can't miss that sorry go on. mescal seems to have slotted into a lane of his own pre this so he may not need it as much as butler does i say this sounds weird to say need it you just played elvis <sighs> But he's in, like, the, he's in the Dune sequel. He's got a prominent. Oh, okay. Role. So they, but like, he's he, fine regardless. But they're both gonna be massive. Like, and if you're the Oscars, like it's not like you're looking for handouts. I think if they wanted to give either of those people the award, it's earned. No one's ever gonna be like, how weird was that? But they should, as a collective, I think the film community should be more interested in being like, you know, when someone you comes along and they're great let's maybe hitch our wagon to that and let's let's attach the this is what an oscar winner means as opposed to i don't want to be disparaging about anyone but angela bassett winning for black panther wakanda forever the black panther film that even marvel fans don't like and what does that like what does that do in a historical context it's going to look ridiculous like it's unfortunate that you didn't get an oscar to angela bassett for better work sooner but this is where it, I think it always comes back to for me, where it's like Austin Butler comes along and gives this performance as Elvis, or if you want to go Paul Mescal, I don't think they'll go anywhere that dramatic. I think it was just great that he broke through as a somewhat surprising nominee. Um, but yeah, I I want Colin Farrell to win. I think he's spectacular, but what Austin Butler does is just undeniable. The most important part of Butler winning, and this is a joke, uh, because I don't know how far along they are into production schedules, but if we could just never see Jacob Lordy try to play Elvis, I think society would be better off. Oh, we're, we're going to see that. We'll see it pretty soon, probably later this year. Great. <laughs> Looking forward At least to he's, it. he's not center of the frame. That's the Priscilla. Okay. It's okay, also directed cool. by Sofia Coppola. So, you know, I've got some level of faith. As much as I'm not crazy about that casting, but what can you do? When when Austin Butler's just come along the year before and done that, it's probably not the ideal time to have to cast an Elvis in your movie. Best director: Martin McDonough, Banshee's Winisher. Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Steven Spielberg, The Fable Ones. Todd Field, Tar. And Ruben Ostland, Triangle of Sadness. I will become the Joker, Andrew. I just, I see zero path to it with those four nominees against him in the mix. But just, this is not it. I'm all for what has developed to the international director who gets into this slot. Ruben Ostland, you are in Park Chan-wook seat. Like, this is, I even would have hoped beyond decision to leave not getting nominated that 
it, it could have come true and picked up a best director nominee. It didn't. Here we are. Um. Yeah, I agree with all that. Um, I think Daniels are going to win, and I think Martin McDonough should win. But I'm going with the everything everywhere wave, and the odds seem pretty stacked in their favor. And uh, that's what I'm going to go with for maybe for entertainment value, just to see like exactly what you would do if Ruben Ostlin won. That could be just uh, fun for our listeners. <laughs> no, I, I, don't would... think, I don't think it would be fun for them. I don't well, think it would be, be fun me, at all. I... It would be me coming on here by myself being like, we can't locate Adam. We don't know where he is. He's in uh, the Triangle of Sadness. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's at the did the Academy Awards Museum ever open up? You're just like on your personal trek there. It's open, just yeah. To, just to wreak havoc. <laughs> Daniels will win. Mark McDonough should win. I think this category is not the greatest list of nominees. I mean, second favorite is Steven Spielberg. They may just decide to give Spielberg the director for, I guess, like telling his life story and doing it pretty well. I was a lot, a lot cooler on that movie than a lot of other people. Um, but it's Steven Spielberg. It's very well directed. <laughs> Find me arguing against that. Um, it, it just seems locked up at this point that. It's a coronation, and it will be. It'll be an award for the Daniels. Best picture. The nominees: All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar: The Way of Water, The Banshees of Inisher, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once. The Fabons, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, Women Talking. The second favorite, I just want to start here because I feel like if I don't say this, we might just ignore it and it could, if there's going to be an upset, maybe this is it and it ruins the Oscars forever. The second favorite at the moment for this award is All Quiet in the Western Front. I think it would be insanity. Just complete and utter insanity. This seems like it's going to be everything everywhere all at once. For the sake of argument, though, Andrew, let's build a case. So... I feel like you're going to say we'll win everything ever all once. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to do the same. Not with the greatest of enthusiasm, but it does seem like that's the point we've reached. Um, If something is to somehow upset it, what would you like to imagine it being? Or what path do you see to something else doing that? I don't see a path, but I have my should win, if you want me to unpack that for you. Yeah, you, you can do that. Uh, Adam, I'm a bit of a showman, a bit of an asshole. Uh, you know that. Uh, you talked a lot about 
historical context and how we'll remember the award that was given for, in that case, a performance, Austin Butler and the great performance he gave as Elvis. Adam, before there were blue people relocating to the water, <laughs> there was a movie there was. about planes, about friendship, about hatred, about rivalry, about loyalty, and about how cool it is when things go vroom vroom and things explode and men finally say things to each other that they haven't said before. Top Gun Maverick took cinema by storm. It got people back to the theater after COVID had left us in an uncertain uh, point. Tom Cruise talked to us before we watched it and he thanked us. He thanked Not us me. for being there. He didn't like he, me. Okay. He, he thanked me. And I think what should win that would, you know, best represent cinema in 2022 is Top Gun Maverick. I've no, I've no issue with this pick. Um, it would be my second on should win. To be a little more boring, I think the Banshees of Inisherin should win. My only reason for that. Top Gun Maverick, this you know, maybe a more compelling case overall. I just think across the board and the if you look at the key figures in any of these movies, I guess this is in, to some extent what shapes the shapes the front runners. The thing that the film that goes toe to toe with everything ever all at once is Banshee's of Sharon. Because you've got your four key actors all nominated. Colin Farrell, Barry Keown, Brendan Gleeson, Kerry Coleman. Martin McDonough is nominated for directing. He's nominated for Best Original Screenplay. Carter Burwell nominated for Best Original Score. Uh, it is also nominated for Best Film Editing. It really has the chops, I would say, to be a Best Picture winner. I I don't think it's just like, oh, well, you just give it to that as a result of that. But I do think all of those individual elements are really exceptional. And it's, it's maybe the one thing that gives it the edge over Top Gun Maverick for me in an Oscar sense, if we're trying to award the best film of the year, um, is I just think, like those details and particularly the performances are where it would have the edge where there's just zero doubting the acting on display. That would be my should win. Having said that, I put Top Gun Maverick just behind it. I'll put Elvis just behind that. I'd have Avatar the way of water in the mix. The one thing like for Top Gun Maverick and for Avatar the way of water this is like the, the Producers Guild of America was always seen as a bellwether for this. Like, these are the movies keeping Hollywood afloat this year. Those two movies. Like, it's it's really as simple as that. And they've done so while also achieving a level of excellence that is not always 
something that goes hand in hand with that level of box office return. I don't know at what point that should play a bigger factor. The answer is probably now, as in this will be the year to lean into that heavily and go, you know what? We can be a populist Oscar and we can give this to Top Gun Maverick while also feeling really good that we're awarding an exceptional piece of film. It's not going to happen, though. But I'd like that. Um, I think Tar is too divisive. The Fablemans may be a dark horse that we're overlooking. I'm just not believing that All Quiet in the Western Front is real. I I think where the money is being placed on it, and I guess where it's being positioned odds-wise, I can see how it's landed there, heavily influenced by the BAFTAs. I think that's a mistake, though. I just don't think we're going to come away from the Oscars being like, wow, look at all of those Oscars, including Best Picture for All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, Women Talking just doesn't have the support in any other categories really to be here, and Triangle of Sadness, just nope. Nope. There's no way... Uh, even the Academy of Motion Pictures and Sciences wouldn't dare do that to me, Andrew. Because That's they're worried it. about the fate of this podcast. They, they sure. really want it to keep going. They want to hear our top tens next week. They sure do. They want to hear our top tens. They may have noticed, as some people may have noticed too, and sincere apologies to people who did, that in the description for the podcast last week, uh, I got the calendar mixed up and I said, next week, tune in to hear us talk about Broker and the films of Hirokazu Karada, which that is not what you've just listened to if you listen this week, but don't worry, that episode is coming. Next week will be our top 10s of 2022, and then we'll have a Broker Karada episode. I'm not sure I'm looking forward to some of the winners of the Oscars, but I'll be I'll be in position. I'll be ready to take in the ceremony, as always, Andrew. Yeah, we're wearing tuxes right now. People can't see us. Uh, we will be wearing them again on Sunday just to, to get in the spirit of things. All right, that does it for us for now. Make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you never miss an episode. You're going to want to be here next week. If you've listened to the pod at any point, you need to hear what our top tens of the year were. You need to hear our honorable mentions. Um, is it going to be a long pod, slightly self-indulgent? Sure, that's part and parcel what it is but year in year out we do hear from people that they like that episode it gives them recommendations or if there's something they haven't checked out they meant to they can circle back to it so we'll cover a wide wide range of films uh, many of which were not recognized by the oscars so if you want to find out well what did i miss what do i need to catch up on what might i be interested in there'll be lots more to hopefully point you in the direction of stuff next week uh you should also check out our pod on repod you go to join repod.com forward slash make time for this you can listen to all of our episodes or any other podcasts of your choosing all of the gspn pods everything is there if you want a new podcast player keep everything on the one spot additionally though you can also share your thoughts on any given episode. Go to the room for make time for this. You can post on a given episode. You can post generally. And Andrew and I will be happy to get into it, to talk with all of you. gspn.info, 
for anything else on the Eurostep Podcast Network. We've got the Eurostep Podcast Network main feed for all things Milwaukee books. Cruising for a bruising for all things Milwaukee brewers. Talking to Tundra for the thing Until next time, thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Adam. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com